Thanks, Kay. Morning again, everyone. Let's pray, shall we? Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, as we come to this particular passage in James this morning, I particularly want to uh, just first of all pray for your guidance and wisdom as we deal with a passage which, Lord, is uh, it has about it many, many challenges for us to come to grips with. Lord, I especially pray that you'd help me, especially to uh, keep from error this morning. Help us all to uh, remember first and foremost that uh, the word that's the words we have before us are indeed your words to us. Help us treat it like that. And most of all, Lord, may we uh, really uh, get from the uh, the message this morning that which is truly uh, important and insignificant for us in our lives, and particularly also, Lord, for uh, as we continue to particularly care for those amongst us and those we know who are indeed sick and unwell in many different ways. We just commit this time to you now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Um, I'm going to just focus on verses 13 to 15 this morning. I know that, uh, that uh, Kay read to us verse 12, and, uh, and um, I didn't deal with that uh, last time I preached. Uh, that will have to be for another day, but there is a lot to get through here in verses 13 to 15, and uh, so uh, that's where we will be spending our time this morning. These verses, again, give us very much uh, helpful teaching on what James has been uh, encouraging his readers uh, in terms of being patient and steadfast in the midst of trial and hardship. He's been uh, talking about that particularly from, uh, from chapter 5 of verse 7 uh, through, to, uh, through to 11 there, which we spent a great deal of time a few weeks ago on. And he goes on and he says that one of the, 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 the main ways, one of the key ways that we can remain patient and steadfast in the midst of trial and hardship in our life is through prayer. Prayer, often in this particular section, forms the key uh, um, issue, if you like, or the key kind of matter that, that, that James deals with right through now until verse 18 of the letter. In fact, prayer um, is mentioned in every single verse from verse 13 through to verse 18. So it's obviously very, very important in James's mind as he, uh, as he teaches his readers through this letter and, of course, as God teaches us through this letter. He says, that, uh, he says, Is anyone among you suffering, in verse 13, let him pray. If anyone is cheerful, then let him sing praises. Let him sing praises to God, which again are a form of that, that wonderful um, um, com- communion, conversation, if you like, between us and God. The writers of the New Testament point out um, uh, in the, you know, the great importance of prayer in all situations. Um, Dale just mentioned the, uh, the verse that we have for us on the front of the newsletter this morning, Philippians 4.6, which says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 12, Paul writes, Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, which ties in here again with James's message, be constant in prayer, be constant in prayer. And again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 16 to 18, 
he writes, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The writers of the New Testament are very specific in terms of, of encouraging the, 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 the Christians in their, in their faith to be people of prayer, to be people who are constantly in prayer because prayer, constant prayer, reflects this Godward focus in our lives. It reflects this, this recognition of our complete and utter dependence upon God for all of his goodness in our lives and, and for all of the things which we need for our lives as we, as we endeavour to live out our lives of faith in Jesus Christ. Everything comes from God, which James has already reminded us of in, in chapter 1 and verse 17 where he says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Prayer. I was talking to uh, our team this morning because we were pray, spending our prayer time together before the service and saying that uh, that. A fellow called Brother Lawrence, some of you might have heard of Brother Lawrence, he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And in that book he basically writes about how he endeavoured to spend his days, no matter what he was doing, having this constant conversation with God, talking to God about all the things that he was doing and just laying them before God and just trusting him, whether he was at the sink washing dishes or whether he was out in the garden, you know, gardening or whatever, whether he was interacting with people, it was, it was, he was carrying out in his mind this constant conversation with God, talking to God about what he was doing and because he was just trying to involve God in his day. What a wonderful way to spend our lives, don't you think? And what a, what a tremendous recognition too then of the fact that we so desperately need God in our lives, in every aspect of our life. We, we today, we get so, um, you know, so uh, caught up in, in our own abilities, in our own strengths, in our own resources that, that oftentimes when it comes to prayer, it's often the last option, not the first. And James is saying that it should be our first. In fact, all the New Testament writers speak about the fact that prayer should indeed be our first option in terms of our lives. When we come to verse 14 and 15, we come to a very, very challenging bit of scripture. And can I say that this is, uh, uh, um, this has kept me awake quite a lot this week. <laughs> Struggling and wrestling through these particular verses because they are not easy. One of the problems we encounter is that when, with James's writing, he categorically states that if a sick person is, uh, calls the elders to come and pray over them and to anoint them with oil, that the prayer of faith will save them and that God will raise them up. James categorically states that. We just read it, read the words. He says, let, he says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And that word save means to restore, heal, cure, whatever you, whatever, whatever you like. Save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, I would have really loved it this week if it, had be, if it had read and the prayer of faith may save the one who is sick and God, and God may raise them up. 
That would be the easiest way to, to attack this particular passage today, but that is not what James says. Anyone here ever sort of really wondered about this particular passage at all? A few people. But when you start to read this, and you read it as it says, it is very, very hard to get our minds around. Because common sense will tell us, and scripture itself tells us, that not everyone who is prayed for is healed, right? So how do we reconcile these things? How do you reconcile those things in your mind? This is the wrestle that I've had this week and I think that it should be the wrestle that each of us should have when it comes to reading scripture because there are some difficult things we find in scripture and we all need to to come before God and wrestle those through and ask God to give us some kind of peace and some kind of of, um, um, place in our hearts where we can just come and know that we can trust him and have some kind of settling in the matter in relation to our, our, uh, our walks with God. As I said, scripture itself, along with personal experience, tells us that not everyone is healed. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 prayed several times that God would remove this thorn in the flesh of his. Paul doesn't tell us exactly what that thorn is and there are a number of of different uh, suggestions as to what it might be and I'm not going to go into those this morning. But God did not heal him. And instead God said, my grace will be sufficient for you. So Paul, you're just going to have to put up with it. But in the midst of that, I will sustain you and uphold you. My grace will be sufficient in order for you to keep doing the things that I've called you to do and live the life that I've called you to live for me. God's will does not purpose that everyone who is sick will be healed. And so that is what we need to try to reconcile ourselves with today when it comes to this verse, these verses in James. And I think that when it comes to this, that this is very real to a number of you here this morning. Very, very real to a number of you who have, who have either lost loved ones through illness or injury or you have battled in prayer, praying specifically for a friend or a family member or someone you know to be healed and they are not. That you've prayed fervently in faith but God has not granted your wish, your prayer, your desire. Well, my prayer is that I would love to be able to settle this for you this morning. But I don't have a particularly definitive answer for you today. So, really, Duncan? I was really hoping you were going to solve this for me today. I'm not the fan of all knowledge (laughs) by any stretch of the imagination. But what I do hope this morning is as we work through this passage... What I want to try and do is hopefully point us to those things that we can know for sure. That we can confidently know for sure. And I believe that the rest that we have to leave in God's hands and we need to continue to trust him by faith. And no, that is not a cop-out this morning. That is not a cop-out. That is indeed the kind of relationship that we sometimes have with God because God is the all-knowing one. God has got a perfect sovereign will for all things, for all of creation, for all of our lives, for the whole world. 
And because God is God, there are some things which we in our finite minds will just have to trust him for and, 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 and have faith in him for that. We're told this morning that the sick person is to call the elders of the church to come and pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. First and foremost, it is the sick person's responsibility to go down this avenue if that person is indeed you know, believing that this is what God would have them do. Now, when I talk about the sick person, I think we need to understand first and foremost that sickness can take many kind of forms. It can be either physical sickness, it can be mental, it can be emotional and it can be spiritual. All of these things, in fact, can have a way of overwhelming us, of overwhelming us to the point where we just are struggling to cope and, in fact, we just feel too weak in ourselves to cope with the situations that we face. Sadly, I think some commentators have have tried to sort of circumvent this passage by just viewing this sickness as being totally spiritual, that is, that the trials and, and the pressures and the hardships of, of life have so sort of contributed to these people being, being weakened in their faith and unable to, to pray for themselves and that they're just about ready just to give it all away, to give in. And these people would see that the elders then rep- representing the, the spiritually mature believers in the church would, would come alongside them and, and pray with them and encourage them in their situation and, and point them again to the hope that is theirs in Jesus Christ thus saving them, restoring them, awakening, if you like, a a renewed kind of of confidence and a renewed kind of of, of spiritual sort of um, understanding in their lives. Well, there may be an element of this to that, certainly. But I think that that really fails to come to grips with what James is actually saying in this passage because I believe that he's talking about a sickness, a sickness which indeed has a physical element about it. The fact that the sick person needs to call or summon the elders to them, speak to, to, to them speaks to me especially of the fact that the person, this person is incapacitated in some way, shape or form, that they are unable to go to the elders themselves. I think too that uh, that um, that you know um, physical sickness can have uh, an emotional and mental and spiritual level to it, but but and, but ultimately what James is referring to here is something that is physical, and the fact that the elders pray over the person can also suggest to some people that the person is actually in bed laying down. They actually come and they actually pray over that person, the sick person in bed. So the sick person, if they're, they're at this particular point where their sickness is, is something which is so um, taking a huge and heavy toll on them that they are to call the elders and ask them to come and pray, pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the elders of the church, those who are meant to be the spiritually mature leaders of the church, have a response a responsibility, if you like, to, to, to come to this and, 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 and grant this person's request, to come and pray with them because they are indeed the carers and the under-shepherds of the flock of God in the church. That is part of their responsibility. And it says that their prayer is to be accompanied with this anointing of oil. Now, I want to stress 
first and foremost here that when it comes to this anointing with oil, that there is no kind of magical properties that, that occur with this anointing, that there is no special kind of oil that is to be used, no special magical kind of you know, incantation that you, that you pray over the oil or anything like that. It is just probably common, ordinary olive oil, which was very much prevalent in that day. But what it does represent is the, is the healing ministry of, and, the, and, the, and the presence, if you like, of God's Holy Spirit. The healing ministry and presence of God's Spirit. In other words, it's a visual aid. It's interesting that when Jesus um, healed some of the people in the... Particularly, we've been going through Mark's Gospel. When Jesus actually healed some people, he sometimes he would spit and use saliva as a means of, of healing. He actually put um, mixed some saliva with mud and he put that on a man's eyes in order to heal his uh, sight. Uh, a man who was, who was, who was uh, mute, who could not speak, he spat on his tongue. Ugh. Now, in those days, saliva was meant to be, you know, sort of like, you know, have some kind of medicinal kind of properties and that sort of thing, which is interesting just to, just to think about that. But, but in another way, it was Jesus kind of using a visual aid for that person, you know, to sort of suggest to them that, that he was going to heal them. And this is what the olive oil represents. It is, it's a visual aid pointing to and reminding the person of God's power that is available to them through his spirit, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this anointing was to be done in the name of the Lord, James says. In other words, on behalf of God, God, of course, being the ultimate source of all blessing and of all healing. Verse 15 is where we get to the real nitty-gritty, if you like, or the real difficulty, because it goes on to say, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. One of the difficulties I've sort of come to, one of the difficulties I have to sort of try to wrestle with this week is that the word that James uses for sick in verse 14 is a different word in the original language to the verse he uses for sick in verse 15. So you can't even compare the two. Also, the other thing he, uh, he talks about uh, in terms of uh, this, um, this particular aspect is that this prayer of faith is a phrase that is used nowhere else in the whole of the Bible. This is the only time it is used. So there you can't even compare that with any, any other place in the Bible to sort of see what it may be referring to. So there is a difficulty there in and of itself. What does James mean by this prayer of faith or the prayer offered in faith, as some might have in their Bible translations? Well, some have taken this to mean that there is a specific level of faith that is required or that accompanies the prayer, which will then automatically result in healing. And that this aspect of faith, this level of faith, is somehow produced in the people who are praying. That, 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 I don't know how, how, uh, how people sort of suggest whether or not they've sort of just got to try to work themselves up to a level of faith or they've got to, you know, just, I don't know. How do you do that? How do you do that? One thing we need to be very, very careful of is that we need to, to be very careful in suggesting that, that all healing or that healing results due to a certain level of faith that is displayed on the part of either those who are, be, who are praying or on the part of the person who is being prayed for. 
Because James goes on to say, and he makes it very, very clear in this passage in verse 15, that it is the Lord who raises the person up. It is God. Not the oil, not the faith, and and certainly not even the prayer itself. None of those things are the things which bring about healing. First and foremost, it is God who heals. That is what we need to make sure that we grasp hold of very, very firmly this morning. Sadly, in my experience, I've seen many people hurt and incredibly hurt and have even turned away from the church due to a false theology. Because it can be very, very harmful to, a, to, to, to suggest that, that a person is not healed because they or the people praying for them just did not have enough faith. I don't think there is anything more hurtful that you can say to a person that they have not had, but because they have not been healed, they just do not have enough faith. I would like to suggest this morning that many of us, in fact, I would say the vast majority of us this morning would admit to not having enough faith. Would I be right? Especially when we're faced with these sort of circumstances in our lives. I'm sure that many of us would echo the words of the man who, who came to Jesus with the, the boy who was, who was uh, possessed by, by, uh, by a harmful spirit and he comes to Jesus and he, and he asks Jesus to, to do something about it and Jesus says, all things are possible for the one who believes. And the man replies, I believe but help my unbelief. I think... All of us would echo those words today in our own hearts, particularly in these sort of circumstances. Folks, those who approach the such situations with this kind of naming and claiming kind of mentality, I think are guilty of showing a, a huge level of arrogance because they are then basically implying that because they have this certain level of faith that God is then, he has to answer in the way in which they pray. That is arrogance. Unless, of course, that God himself has given them a real certainty in their spirits that he will heal. And here is where we need, we we understand what this prayer of faith might be. That God, by his grace may indeed give those who are praying, and in this case the elders, those who are uh, the ones... By the way, it is the the prayer of faith of the elders, by the way, in this particular passage that is mentioned, not not the prayers of the person who is being prayed for, but the prayer of the elders. God, might, by his grace, may indeed give these people who are praying a, a certain conviction, a real conviction in their hearts that he intends to heal this person. And so in faith, they pray that God will do exactly as he has revealed to them, as exactly as God has said. Now, as you can imagine, there's a fair bit of subjectivity that's involved in this, isn't there? 
And that's why I believe that it requires spiritually mature believers, particularly elders, who are able to exercise this godly wisdom and discernment in this particular situation, who are able to, to understand and have that, that, uh, that discernment of knowing the will of God in that. Now, I'm not saying that only the elders have this, by the way. We all, as spiritually mature believers in Jesus Christ, are able to know the will of God through the indwelling Holy Spirit. But, but generally speaking, it's people who have walked that road of faith for some time, who have got that kind of relationship with God, who have experienced you know, the, the, the highs and the lows, if you like, with God, who have experienced the, the, the ups and the downs, who have experienced God speaking to them and, and of, of, of being able to respond to that in faith. And that is why I believe that, that, that when it comes to appointing elders in the church, it should not be the spiritually immature people in the church who are appointed to such positions because of these kind of roles. So we see that the prayer of faith may indeed be that God-given certainty, that God-given conviction in a person's heart that this indeed is what God intends to do and they pray according to that which God has revealed to them. And by the way, we also have a plurality of elders, in other words, a number of elders, so it's just not down to one person. And therefore there is a combined spiritual wisdom that operates within that kind of setup. One other thing to note here is that the, the time frame is not mentioned. James isn't saying that the, that the healing happens instantaneously. Okay, It may happen indeed over a period of time. Nor is James denying the fact that the person may also seek other forms of help apart from prayer, whether it be through, med- through, through doctors, through surgeons, whatever, way, whatever ways that, they, uh, that we have available to us today, James is saying that that does not deny doing, going down that path as well. Sadly, some people you know, in, uh, in some kind of uh, belief systems today believe that all they need to do is pray and they will ignore all kinds of medical intervention. Folks, that's, that can be foolish. That can be truly foolish. Well, that's one way of understanding this prayer of faith. The other way that we can understand it is that, first and foremost, all prayer, all of our prayer is a dependence upon God and a submission to him and to his will. It is God's will that has to be done, not ours. And true faith... Any true prayer of faith acknowledges this and will therefore patiently trust God and his purposes regardless of how God chooses to act and respond. One interesting point that I came across in my research this week is that healing from a a biblical point of view does not mean just getting rid of an illness or a disease. It's not just confined to that but in fact, it ultimately involves coming into a right relationship with God first and foremost. The God who himself restores us to wholeness. It's interesting that the Jewish word of blessing, that word shalom that the Jews would, would greet themselves with, carries with it this meaning, this blessing of that God, that, that that person would experience all the wholeness and the fullness and the completeness of God in their lives. 
ultimately, the healing which God gives us and that God is working towards in our lives and that we won't experience completely this side of eternity is this full and and complete and utter restoration in our lives with him. So that's the other way to understand the prayer of faith. That we, any prayer of faith, will patiently trust God and his purposes. And if it is God's purpose indeed to raise that person up and to heal them, then they will be healed. And not just, you know, be able to just sort of drag themselves out of bed and still be sort of, you know, um, still look as though they're half dead but that God will indeed raise him up like he, he did with, with Peter's mother-in-law, Simon Peter's mother-in-law who was, who was ill and Jesus came and Jesus touched her and she was able to get up and serve them and, and feed them and, 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 and provide the hospitality was needed in that, in that situation. God's healing is always complete when he chooses to heal in his name. Well, I don't know if I've really settled things for you very much this morning. I'm going to uh, I'm going to skip over a bit of what I've got here because I'm conscious of the fact that uh, we've got a number of children with us this morning. They don't get to go to kids zone today. They go, they don't have, they've got to sit through a, a pastor preaching such a long message and things like that. And guys, you've been great this morning. Thank you for that. What I want to do is just talk, it's just in closing, just just point us to it, just a few things. Okay, three things. Three things which I think we need to, to, to grasp hold of as we leave here today, and that, and that is this. Is that first and foremost, through, through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been given an incredible access into the very presence of God. Every single one of us who have got that faith and trust in Jesus Christ who have submitted our lives to him. We have an incredible access to the very presence of God. We can come boldly. We can come confidently. We can come without fear of condemnation, knowing that our heavenly Father loves us. As 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares or anxieties on him because he cares for you. We can confidently cast all of our cares and anxieties upon God, our Father, because we know that he cares for us. Second thing we, can be do, we need to be doing is we need to be praying fervently for each other, especially those who are sick, and, and to pray in such a way that we have confidence in knowing that God is the one who is able to heal. And he does if it is his will and purpose to heal in that particular instance. But if he chooses not to, that we can confidently rest in his plan and in his purposes, we can do so knowing that God ultimately is doing what's best for us and for his purposes. And by ultimately trusting in him, God will indeed bring blessing. It's interesting, um, one of the commentators I was reading this week, he says, prayer may not remove the affliction, but it can certainly transform it. You get that? Prayer may not remove the affliction, but it, may, but it can certainly transform it. In other words, we can see it from God's perspective. 
We can be given the wisdom of God, which James talks about in James chapter 1. God's grace, as he says to Paul, is sufficient for us. Finally, when afflicted afflicted by serious illness, we are to use this time to reflect. To reflect first and foremost on our relationship with God. To confess any sin that we may have before God. James talks about sin here. I haven't got time to go into that this morning, but just suffice to say is that God sometimes uses illness to confront us with our sin. 1 Corinthians 11, which speaks about, in fact, coming around the Lord's table. Um, Paul speaks about that some people approach that in an unworthy manner. And Paul says that that is the reason why some of you have become weak, have become ill, and in fact, why some of you have even died. But what we also need to understand is that Jesus says that not all illness or disability or anything like that is due to sin. As the blind man in John chapter 9 where his disciples asked him, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus says, neither. Okay, so we need to remember that. We are to ask others to pray for us. Call the elders if needs be. Seek means of other help. But ultimately we are to humbly submit our lives to God and we are allow and, and, and as we do that, we allow God to glorify Himself in us and through us. And ultimately, that is what we are meant to be. We are meant to be people who indeed seek to glorify God in all and every aspect of our lives, both the good and the bad. Amen. Oh, you agree? Oh, that's good. All right, we're going to move into a time of communion. Ask the communion stewards if you'd like to come forward. Folks, as we gather around this table this morning, we are going to partake of the element of bread and of grape juice. Two very, very simple elements. The Lord himself actually instituted this particular thing that which the church follows even today. This is, in fact, Jesus. what Jesus commanded his followers to do on a regular basis. And the reason Jesus asked his followers to do this, I believe, is that we would remember. We would remember, first and foremost, what God has done in order to redeem us, to save us, and to bring us into relationship to himself, that we may indeed call him as our heavenly father. It speaks first that we are to remember Christ's death and his resurrection. That Christ would give his life as a sacrifice for us, for our sins. That we may indeed find that ultimate and that complete healing in him. These elements, although simple, have a very powerful symbolic message behind them. And it is for believers, people who have recognised their need for a saviour because of their sin. So if you're here this morning and you have not come to that point this morning, that's okay. But we ask that you would just let these elements pass you by just out of respect and reverence for the occasion and what they represent. But can I just encourage you during this time to recognise the love that God has for you. 
and the willingness that he, that the extent that he would go to in order to, to have you for himself, to be able to, for you to be able to call him your heavenly father. As we partake of these elements, again, it is a time for us to reflect. Reflect again on God's provision for us. Not just in the saving of, saving us from our sins, as great and as wonderful as that is, but God's ongoing provision for us in our lives. Every aspect of our lives we are completely and utterly dependent upon him for. And to thank him for that. And if it means this morning that you need to come before God and there is some, perhaps an area in your, in your life at the moment where you just know that God is speaking to you about and God's not, you know, God wants you to, to be free from that, to be released from that because it is, provide, it is bringing so much guilt in your heart at the moment. It's bringing so much stress in your lives because you know you're not walking in the way God wants you to. Now's the time, Lord. Now's the time, folks, to speak to the Lord about that. To confess that before Him and to know the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. Let's pray and then we'll, uh, we'll distribute the elements. Father, this morning we want to thank you for our time together. We want to pray, Lord, that as we do indeed partake of these elements this morning, we recognize that they, they speak of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. He laid down his life for us in order that we might have real life, true life, abundant life in his name. May we just be thankful for all of your goodness to us, Lord. May our hearts rejoice in the salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ. And may it give us renewed hope and strength and faith in you to keep walking with you day by day, to trust you no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. We ask it in Jesus' precious name and for his glory. Amen.